The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. A few months ago, I led a little devotion for our mission team, and I just did a little bit beginning on Barnabas to try to show them how I saw Barnabas as, a, as an incredible discipler. And so if you were there, if you were part of that small group on that missions team, hopefully it was good enough you don't mind hearing part of it again, but I just expanded a little bit on that. One of the reasons why I did that, one is it keeps us as a character study, but he's one of my heroes. He all, it's amazing. It took me a while to discover Barnabas in his totality. One of the reasons being is it's not just in one little paragraph or one chapter that you see his life story unfold. It's over several chapters in the book of Acts. And if you don't take and put them together, you don't realize how, what an incredible man he was. And so that's what we're going to look at that. We're not even going to cover the whole part of his life uh, this morning, but I'm going to cover the part that I think demonstrates all of the qualities that a true discipler needs. Now, let me explain. When I use the term and think of the term discipling, it covers all aspects of life. If you are a parent, you are discipling your children. You're just not raising them to keep them out of trouble. You're discipling them in all aspects, socially, emotionally, uh, spiritually, and all of that. Uh, if you are work someplace and you have anybody work with you or for you and you are a training situation, literally as a believer, you're trying to disciple that person. You're trying to help them become more and more proficient in what it is that you're doing and what it is that the company or the group needs. And if you have these character traits of, of Barnabas, it translates not just in the church, which, praise God, I really appreciate some of the things that Jonathan is doing in discipling specifically men for the role of elder, but also the way we try to disciple all of our team leaders, men and women. If you're, if you're leading our greeting group, you literally are discipling people on how to be nice and smile and greet. It just doesn't necessarily happen. Any role that you're in that you're trying to help someone else become proficient in, you are discipling them, and it is a spiritual challenge for you and for me. So will you turn with me, if you will, Acts chapter 4. Now, you're going to need to follow with me because we're going to be in several places of Acts. One of the confusing things is I do my study usually, because I'm just such an old guy, in the NIV. And I didn't have time to change all of my passages I have printed out from the NIV to the ESV. So you may be listening and seeing in the, in the ESV while I'm reading in the NIV. That's why there might be any confusion. If you're on your electronic uh, gizmo, then just push the little button at the top that changes it from the ESV to the NIV. Uh, that's what I do back and forth when, uh, whenever I'm here and whatever uh, Jonathan's preaching or whatever. But if you look at Acts chapter 4, verses 36 to 37, 
It's the first time we're introduced to this man, Barnabas. One of the things I'd like you to see is that his journey begins very smallly. It begins based out of his natural, normal, everyday character. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Man, I, that's, that's, man, what a neat name. And it probably is a character trait we need to develop if we are actually going to be disciples or trainers or leading people up, whether it's parenting or whatever. Encouragement is, is in dire need today's world. He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. It was not unusual. At that point in time in that chapter, that's what a lot of people were trying to do to take care of the poor and the slaves and others that were in this new church that did not have enough to live on. And so the word went around, hey, if you've got some extra property, sell it and bring it to the, the apostles. You also know the story where there was a husband and a wife that faked it and the Holy Spirit wasn't happy with that and <clears throat> that didn't go well. But that's another story out of Acts 5. I like to ask just a couple of questions. What is, the, what is it that we learn about the normal Barnabas through this? What do we learn about the normal Barnabas? You see anything that's there? See, this may be a little more like a Sunday school class than a sermon, so you may have to help me out a little bit here. He's faithful. He has money, doesn't he? He's not poor. Good, yeah. Anything else? He's a Levite, which means what? He's in the priesthood. He's a leader as a Jew, isn't he? Okay. And then, obviously, he must have a strong sense of generosity because nobody was twisting their arms. They didn't have to do any of that. All right, so that, that's just kind of the character of a disciple. Put that in that as the character of a parent, the character of a, an employer, or the character of someone you're trying to disciple in a spiritual way. All right, turn over to Acts 9. Okay, Acts 9, verse 26. First thing, as we think about the character of a discipler, the second one, I think, is another C, but I didn't alliterate them all, so you're okay. Acts 9, 26. When he, mine says, when he came to Jerusalem, but that's Paul, okay? We're, we're talking about Paul. We're close on to his encounter with Jesus, in which he ended up blind and on the ground and changed. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. A disciple. Do you blame him? What was he on his way to do? Kill people, kill Christians, persecute them, put them in jail. That was, he believed in that, he was strong in that. So now all of a sudden he says, oh, well, uh, I've changed. Uh, <laughs> I was the most incredible abuser of Christians you've ever seen, but I'm different. I'll be honest with you, I'd have a hard time believing that myself. And so nobody believed him except one person, it seems. But, big word there, at least in the NIV, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. 
He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the, the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. I put the big C on this one as the courage of a disciple. Why do, why do you think I called that courage? What did he do that was courageous? Number one, he, he accepted, he, he got the, with Saul enough to hear him, to test him, to the point where he actually believed his story, didn't he? Okay? And nobody else really wanted to do that. That's one step of courage. What, any other steps of courage? He spoke up for him. What? You see, one of the things you stop, when you speak up for a friend, whether it's to a professor, to an employer, to someone else, what's on the line? Your reputation. And, there, and Proverbs will tell us, there isn't really anything more important than our reputation, is it? Now, we don't want to be a people pleaser, but on the whole, our reputation. So he was willing to take a risk and put his entire reputation. If it didn't work out, Barnabas was done as a leader in the Christian church. But he was willing. He believed in Paul enough. So I think courage is an incredible part of the, being a disciple. All right? Let's go on to another one. Acts 11. See, at least you don't have to go very far, and I am chronological, okay? So I'm trying to help. I'm trying to be helpful this morning. Acts 11, beginning at verse 19. One of the neatest stories, if you ever take the chance to read in Acts 8, where the persecution after Stephen happens, and everybody but the, the disciples, leaders, everybody but the apostles ran, ran, were scattered, and it says that some of them ended up in Antioch, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, which is like saying the scum of the earth showed up in Antioch, and they didn't know any better, so they began telling G Gentiles, non-Jews, about Christ and the gospel. And p they responded, and they didn't know what to do with that. The uh, word got around back in uh, Jerusalem, and the apostles were going, wait a minute. God's not supposed to reach out to the Gentiles, only to the Jews, all right? But the Lord's hand, I'm going to start in verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, you're going to see why I think they sent Barnabas. But right here, you learn very, very much. You're seeing, we're going to see several things of the fruit of a disciple. The fruit of a disciple. Again, it's coming out of who he, who he is, not what he's doing. But they looked at that, and they're saying, this is a weird situation, something we don't know about, but we trust Barnabas. And we can see why they did in a minute. Anyway, when Barnabas arrived in Antioch and saw the evidence of the grace of God, I'm verse 23, he was glad... Number one, his response was not to question, not to be negative, but he says, okay, God's working in a way that nobody's ever seen, but I'm glad about it. Color outside my box. And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord in their hearts, with all their hearts. 
Then it says something about this one of the few things where we specifically learn about Barnabas. It said he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That's kind of the, you know, we sometimes think that as to be a, an amazing discipler, we ought to have the charisma of, of you know, uh, a major leader. That we ought to be really on top of it. We have the gift of teaching and we have the gift of helps and we have the gift of everything. And we need to be somebody really, really special to be able to be in a position that others might want to learn from us. All I would like to push back on that is if I could put something on my tombstone, what more would you want than he was a good man, he was a good woman, full of the Holy Spirit and faith? That's the fruit of a disciple. That's the fruit of a godly employee. That's the fruit of a godly parent. Being a good person, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That's what it takes. And, and the, I personally think that's all it takes. Because if you work out of that, people are going to learn and people are going to follow and people are going to become more and more full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And notice at the end of it, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. It's interesting. It doesn't mean, it doesn't say because he was the most powerful preacher since Peter. It just says that he was a good man full of a Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Doesn't even say it was because of him. It's just out of that ministry. I say that uh, because his immediate need to respond to this successful ministry, great number of people coming to the Lord. Our initial response is to do what when God really uses us in a powerful way? Let's be honest. What's our usual response? Oh, come on. Pat ourselves on the back, don't we? I mean, we can't help it because we want to, these things. We desire that. And when God actually bends down and uses us, it's kind of like, whoa! You know, I'm kind of surprised, and that's pretty good. But it's interesting that Barnabas' immediate response is, this is beyond me. I need help. Whatever's going on, whatever his role in leading, he immediately said, it's beyond me. Because look what he did in verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. <laughs> and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Okay, first of all, I see the wisdom and the vision of a discipler. There's something that Barnabas saw in Paul that was, it, it stuck with him. And his immediate response is, there's someone who could come alongside me and our response and our fruit and everything we could do would be so much better with him there. Not only that, he went to Tarsus, which is not around the corner, and it says that he found him. I, I, is it, the way it reads, it's kind of like he had to go looking for Paul. Paul didn't want to be found. The interesting thing is, I can understand why. If you had done the things that Paul had done, and then you saw the Lord, and he changed you, and you realized the depths of the evil that you had done, 
you're going to run. Run from Christians. And for him to bring Paul back, he probably had to talk Paul into it. He probably had to share to help him in a way get over his shame, his humiliation, his guilt, and say, I need you to come back with me and help me build this body of believers in Antioch. Something about Barnabas was winsome enough. His wisdom, he saw things that, that maybe nobody saw. And his vision was that this could be a team that could really do something. What I find about that's very interesting, it says the next phase in verse 25, so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So it wasn't like, I'm going to jump in, hit them, and take off. Like many of the cases, Paul had to do that. But when, he, when Barnabas brought Paul in, they stayed for a whole year teaching the people. Now what I find interesting is that, is look at that next phrase. The disciples were first called what? First called Christians at Antioch. So as I looked at that, I'm thinking, there you see the wisdom of Barnabas. Barnabas went from numbers to Christians. Do you see what I'm saying there? He saw the need that, yeah, he could have kept building numbers. He wanted to, he wanted to build up believers. What was, why did they call them Christian? What was that, what did it mean? What? Little Christs. Somehow the behavior, the love, the sharing of these people were such that people first called them little Jesuses. That's disciple making, isn't it? They changed from being numbers to actually being visible and effective. And that's where Barnabas said, I need Paul to come alongside me to accomplish that. That's that kind of the wisdom and the vision of a disciple. Then I'm, the next thing I'd like to look at about that is Acts 13. They're still in the church at Antioch, somewhere at the end of that year, probably. And they're at the church in Antioch. And I want you to see what, what was going on there. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with the Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, what were they doing? They were just part of the elders. You notice that? They were just part of the team. He had the humility and the team concept to the point where it wasn't him on his own. We, I, I've got to be a part of that. He was willing to, in a way, just be an elder not be the big leader. They were meeting. And it said, and the Holy Spirit showed up in the middle of that worship and said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. There was a special call on Barnabas and on Saul, or Paul, it was recognized by other leaders, and it was recognized in the midst of a deep sense of worship and fasting and prayer. That's when it was recognized. 
Not at the end of some big meeting when everybody goes, whoa, Barnabas, Saul, they're something else. We ought to send them out to reach all the world. No, they were in an elders meeting. <laughs> and all of us know that those are not always the most exciting things that ever happened. But I, we like to try to do, they were, they were worshiping and praying. And, and the Holy Spirit said, this is what I want to do. And the impact is just incredible, as you, as you all know. Now, I don't, I don't want to go into a lot of the, any, you know, I don't have time to go into some of the details of all that was going on, but I want to get to a next step that talks about, well, well just a second before I go there. I did, I thought as I was putting this together, I thought of someone. You know, it's hard when you see someone who is gifted, but they've been wounded. Wounded so badly that they've shut the gift off. You know what I'm talking about? Where you've seen that? And it might have happened to you. I had a good friend in my first church, a little town of 450 people in the middle of Nebraska. Church was huge. We had, oh, at least 70. Of course, you got to know everybody in the church in the town of 450. This young man, he was about the same age as I was in our 30s, and he was the, he'd gone and gotten to training. He was the town policeman. He was the town clerk. He also drove the big uh, uh, the snow removal grader. Uh, he took care of the park. I mean, if there was anything that had to be done in that town, that was what he would do. People loved him. An incredible gift of just, just being kind and, and giving. And I could tell there was something that I looked at, and I knew he had the gift of teaching. So I went to him. We hit a spot where we didn't have anybody to be the senior high Sunday school teacher. Nothing. And you know, when you're in a small church... When there's nobody there, there's nobody there. So I went to him, and I said, Terry, I really think, the kids love you, I really think you'd do a good job of being a Sunday school teacher. And he said, nope, never. Oh, well, that kind of shuts the door a little bit. Well, I must, okay, God, I must have missed this one big time. And I said, uh, but, I, but I couldn't let it go at that, could you? You have to go, okay, why? Turns out, this buzzard had a degree in teaching. He'd actually gotten his bachelor's in teaching. But his, I don't know what, what's, what is, I don't know what it was called then, but you have to do a practice teaching a period of time when you teach under another teacher. I can't remember what it's called. Student teaching, thank you. His experience was so awful that he said he would never teach again. The painfulness of that experience, and I didn't go into details of what happened. And I looked at him and I said, Terry, I can understand that, but I don't think God shut it down. And, and you know that we don't have anybody else to fill it. If you don't do it, there won't be a senior high class. And you know how senior high kids, they're anxious to go into the old people's class. And, uh, and that was about the only other class we had. They, they called that the graduating class. That was the old people that were, their next step was going to be promoted to heaven. Um, 
Sad part is I'm in that class now. <laughs> um, and so, you know, duty was a high calling on his life, and that can be good and bad, can it, when you have a really high sense of duty. But it's mostly a good thing. Well, he, you know, he, he want, and you know, we were close enough that I could aggravate him, and I tried to. <laughs> and finally he said, all right, if it'll get you off my back, I'll try it for one semester. Or no, I think he said, I'll try it for a month. That's what he said. I'll try it for a month. You know, when I left four years later, he was still teaching that senior high Sunday school class. He loved it once he got there. That's sometimes what we need to see in the encouragement with people. We see people have been shut down by pain, where their gifts have been shut off. And we need to help them turn them back on again. Well, actually, somehow we have to help. God turns them back on, but you know what I'm trying to say. We need to be the encourager in that situation. Anyway, that was a sidetrack. Let's go back to Acts chapter 13 again and move down to verse 12. They are in the midst of reaching out, going to city to city, going to synagogues, teaching the gospel, seeing people come to Christ, get themselves beat up, and all the things that went on. Uh, being an, uh, an apostle at that point in time. Well, they went to a town, in Paphos, it's on, on, on the island, uh, and it says, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now, I just jump into that. Uh, we need to go back to see what was it that he saw happening. Well, it's a very interesting story because it's a, a huge change in the story of Barnabas and Paul. See, at this point in time, when they, they were on the island of Cyprus, and they'd gone to the Paphos, and the, the proconsul, who was the, the ruler of the island, had an attendant who happened to be a sorcerer. Bad guy. And he didn't want Paul or Barnabas to get to the proconsul because he knew that the proconsul was, was interested in the gospel. So he, he encountered, he, he faced up Paul and Barnabas, and they met him, and he was saying, no, I'm not going to let you get anywhere near him. Well, in, the, in that opposition, we see for the first time Saul, who then soon becomes Paul, stepped up. Now, all this time, Barnabas is the lead guy, right? Here comes a spiritual encounter with the enemy, a man whose actual name was Sorcerer. And when they come face to face, boom, up against Barnabas and, and Saul, it's Saul that steps in, steps up, speaks up. Now, you know that that happened because Barnabas stayed quiet. You know, your disciples aren't going to step up if you can't Stay quiet if you always jump into it. Saul steps in, and, and he said a few nice things. You might like to see those. That's up in verse uh, 7. The proconsul, an, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Now, verse 9. 
Now, this, this is typical Saul, okay? Barnabas is the encourager. This is not time for encouragement. This is time for encounter. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the, Lord, the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind, and for a time you'll be unable to see the light of the sun. And boom, it happened. Now that wasn't a very kind, gracious way to share the gospel with him. But that's what the Holy Spirit told Saul to say and do. Understand, when he stepped up into that kind of position, we now move into what's in verse 42. Okay, you want to look down at verse 42 of Acts, 6, Acts 13? Who's named first? Paul is, isn't he? Up to that point in time in Acts, it has always been Barnabas and Paul or Barnabas and Saul. From then on, except for one minor variation time, it is now Paul and Barnabas. And now there's other things we could go on, but I do believe that this is one of the highest, highest values of a discipler, of a parent, of an employee, of a trainer, in all of those situations. That's knowing when to step back and take the second chair. That may be the hardest step in any mentoring or discipling relationship. And I can't tell you how many times I've watched those that were healthy relationships fall apart because the mentor or the discipler couldn't step back into a second chair. I... If you look on that, it says in verse 42, and, and this is, it's, a, it's written a little bit different than the ESV. I saw that, but notice, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. The people saw the relationship. They saw the character of Barnabas when he stepped back. That is sometimes the highest step that we can ever take in, in this world. It's the step that we take back to allow others to thrive, to allow, to allow others to achieve the things. And that's what we're trying... I mean, if we're trying to train, disciple, grow, encourage, nurture anyone, what is our goal? To be able to step back and let them go on. Hopefully, beyond anything we could ever have done. Does that make sense? But you know what that means? That, that brings it all back. I'm going to read through those character traits before we come to the table. It brings it all back to, are you being a discipler or a parent or a trainer or an employer or whatever it is that you're doing? Are you doing it for God? Are you doing it for you? See, so often it, it, it's, it does feel good. I'll be honest with you. When a younger person listens 
and actually does what we suggest. It's an incredible encouragement. But by the same token, if that's what you expect and need, you're never going to be able to cut them loose and be able to step back into that second chair. Does that make sense? Let me just read through these things. From the very beginning, Barnabas, quality of being an encourager. He had the quality of character, of being, doing the right things, of giving, giving up his, his uh, property. He had the courage to be able to put his reputation on the line. He had the wisdom and vision to be able to see something in other men or women, younger, not as gifted, not as on top of things, not as educated, and he saw something in them, and he had the wisdom and the vision to go after it. I see something in you that you may not even see in yourself. And then they had the humility to just be a part of the team, to be an elder there, to be in prayer, and then find himself anointed. And then lastly, he knew when to let go. Step back. It's not about me. It's about the kingdom of God. As we come before the table, I know that for every one of us, there are places where we've been wounded and we may have shut down some gifts. And we're afraid. It may be shame, maybe guilt holding you back. But that's not the Holy Spirit. See, godly sorrow brings repentance and restoration. Fleshly sorrow just makes you feel guilty and awful and immovable. We're all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is grace and mercy and growth. The reality is we are all to be disciples. And you can't really be a disciple if you don't disciple others. And whatever it is, it could be discipling others and being a children's leader, a children's teacher. doesn't have to be what we tend to think. You've got to take somebody through 13 steps of the book and now anoint you as a disciple. There's all ways this looks. It's part of life-on-life -life relationship. Just be thinking. Who is it that God has put in my life that I could be discipling in whatever way that is, building them up, edifying them, encourage them, so that they might become that wonderful masterpiece that God has created them to be in Christ Jesus, so that they can do the things that God appointed before the foundation of the world for them to do. You're just trying to help encourage others. And all of us have to look deep and say, okay, I'm doing this for the kingdom. And I'm going to be looking. I'm not just going to wait for somebody to beat me over the head and tell me, you're in his way. I'm going to be looking for that time, that place, to step back and release them. And, and just enjoy what they're doing and accomplishing in the power of God.